seated. It's so good to see all of you today as we fellowship and rejoice together. This morning's message, we're going to conclude our series called A Journey to Bethlehem. And I thought we would uh, sing that song. Before we sang O O Little Town of Bethlehem, I would give you the history uh, behind the song. So you have a little bit of understanding of where the song came from and who wrote the song and the story behind it. Uh, This is coming from 101 Hymn Stories by Kenneth W. Osbeck. The story behind O Little Town of Bethlehem. In a moment, uh, we'll sing it together. Osbeck writes, This beloved Christmas carol is from the pen of one of America's outstanding preachers of the past century, Phillips Brooks. In his day, he was referred to as the Prince of the Pulpit. His many published volumes of sermons have since become classics of American literature. He is said to have won the hearts of people with his preaching and writing, as few clergymen have ever done. O Little Town of Bethlehem was written in 1868, several years after Brooks had returned from a trip to the Holy Land. The experience of spending Christmas Eve in Bethlehem and worshiping in the Church of the Nativity, thought to be the place of Christ's birth, made an indelible impression upon the young preacher. Three years later, while pastor at the Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, he was searching for a new carol for his children to sing in their Sunday school Christmas program. The still vivid memory of his Holy Land visit inspired Brooks to write this text. Brooks gave a copy of the newly written carol to his organist and Sunday school superintendent, Louis H. Redner, and asked him to compose a simple melody that children could sing easily. Redner was known throughout the Philadelphia area as a devoted Christian leader in Sunday school work, as well as one deeply interested in church music. He struggled for a considerable time to contrive just the right tune for his pastor's text. On the evening before the program was to be given, he suddenly awakened from his sleep and quickly composed the present melody. Redner always insisted that the tune was a gift from heaven. The carol was an immediate favorite with the children as it has been with children and adults around the world to the present time. It was first published in 1874. Although Brooks wrote a number of other Christmas and Easter carols, especially for children, this is the only one to survive the test of time. Phillips Brooks was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1835. After graduation from Harvard and the Episcopal Theological Seminary in Virginia in 1859, he began a long and distinguished career in the ministry serving as pastor in Philadelphia from 1859 to 69, and at Trinity Church in Boston from 1869 to 1891. He was appointed bishop of all the Episcopal churches in the Massachusetts area shortly before his untimely death in 1893. Now, Brooks was an impressive and gifted man, a giant in body. Uh, Phillips Brooks was six foot six. Uh, He was a giant in body as well as in mind and heart. His forceful yet eloquent evangelical preaching, estimated to have been delivered at the rate of 250 words per minute, uh, did much to stem the tide of the Unitarian movement, especially rampant in the New England area at that time. Though a bachelor, Brooks was especially fond of children. It is said that he kept a supply of toys and dolls and other objects of interest for children in his study, so the youngsters would be encouraged to stop in and chat with him. A familiar sight of this important man in the pulpit was sitting on the floor of his study, sharing a fun time with a group of youngsters. His sudden death was greatly mourned by everyone who knew him. The story is told of a five-year-old girl who was upset because she hadn't seen her preacher friend for several days. 
When told by her mother that Bishop Brooks had gone to heaven, the child exclaimed, and I quote, Oh, Mama, how happy the angels will be, end quote. Can't you just see this six foot six man on the study floor with all the toys and playing dolls and all? But that's the story behind the hymn we're going to sing right now. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, as we made this journey and we'll finish the journey uh, series this morning, Journey to Bethlehem. But now that you know the story, you know who wrote it, you know who composed the tune. Let's sing it together as we stand and sing number 86. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, hymn number 86.
Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. All month long, I've been on a journey to Bethlehem, and it's been a wonderful trip to take indeed. Luke chapter 2, as we have our final message in this particular series, Journey to Bethlehem. While you're finding Luke chapter 2, listen to what John Knight once said. John Knight said, to travel to Bethlehem is to keep a rendezvous with wonder, to answer the call of wisdom, and to bow the knee in worship. That's worth saying again. To travel to Bethlehem is to keep a rendezvous with wonder, to answer the call to wisdom, and to bow the knee in worship. Wonder, wisdom, worship. I hope that's what we've experienced as we've joined together from week to week as we've gone back again to Bethlehem. Now, the passage we're going to read together today is a most familiar one. And I don't want the familiarity to cause us to lose that wonder and that wisdom and that worship that we should display as we study it together. I'll begin reading at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Familiar words to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says... And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As I studied this passage and tried to do it in a fresh way, looking at it, trying to with with new eyes to behold the wonder and the wisdom and the worship that should be there, trying not to be so casual and familiar with it. uh, Several things came to mind. I want to share them with you today. As I read this passage, beloved, I was reminded that we serve a sovereign God. We serve a sovereign God. Although it seems at times that things are out of hand, everything's out of control, things are bad, we serve a sovereign God. He's still in control. He's still reigning. He's still ruling. His will shall be accomplished in this world, in this universe. He is still sovereign. And we see a display of His sovereignty here in this passage. Now, 700 years prior to the birth... Of the Lord Jesus in Bethlehem, God announced to the prophet Micah exactly where the birth was going to take place. In fact, we studied that passage together. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. 700 years prior, here's what it said. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, as we look at this passage here in Luke chapter 2, we're reminded that God selected the time when Christ would come, when the Messiah will be born. It says, and it came to pass in those days. 
He selected the time during the days of Caesar Augustus, during the days of Quirinius. During these days, God said, now is the time for the Messiah to be born. We notice that God selected the people. We just read about this lovely couple named Mary and Joseph. Now, Mary and Joseph were probably teenagers at this time. Mary was a virgin. She never knew a man, but yet she was with child. God had chosen her and graced her to give birth to the Messiah. So God selected the time. God selected the people and God selected the place. That place, of course, is the place of Bethlehem. But I want you to notice how our sovereign God brought about this fulfillment to prophecy, brought about the birth of the Messiah. Did you notice that he used of all things he could have used? He used. The government. Look at it again. And in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The King James says all the world should be taxed, right? He used the government. I'm reminded of Charles Stanley's life principles, as he calls them. I think there's about 30 that he's come up with, uh, 30 life principles. But one of them, he says this, if necessary, God will move heaven and earth to show us his will. If necessary, God will move heaven and earth to show us his will. Now, he did exactly that in regards to the Messiah's birth. God, the son, moved from heaven to earth in the form of a baby. You ever thought about that? A baby. Vulnerable. Helpless, a little infant. God saw to it that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that would move Mary and Joseph to be in the right place at the right time to fulfill a prophecy that was 700 years old. Our God is sovereign. Proverbs 21 one says it this way. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Listen, our God is sovereign. Our God is in control. Trust him. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in your world, no matter what's going on in the world at large, you can take rest and confidence and trust in the fact that our God is in control. I love what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, the Bible says this, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. To sum it up, things are bad, real bad. Verse 18 says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He'll make my feet like deer's feet. He'll make me to walk on my high hills. Beloved, we serve a sovereign God. I love what Wearsby said. He said, Augustus Caesar was ruling, but God was in charge. And that's still the case today, beloved. God is still in charge. God is still on the throne. We serve a sovereign God. But praise God, we also serve a loving God. Look at verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now listen, God did not send his son to earth so that we could feel all warm and fuzzy every December. God did not send his son to earth because it was a neat thing to do that would cause a lot of good feelings to abound. 
Now, you may indeed feel warm. I hope you do feel warm and fuzzy right now. I hope you got a lot of good feelings. But listen, God sent his son to take the place of rebels like us. That's why God sent his son. God sent his son to die. Listen to what Lewis said at Bethlehem. God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. Now, that's a lot to get your 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 mind wrapped. Some of us have been up for a long time now, right? Especially those young children. Let me say that again so you catch it. At Bethlehem, God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. Even better, let me say it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here in verse 7, we're reminded of the humility that the Lord Jesus displayed in coming and being born. Laid in an animal's food trough in a manger because he was rejected before he was ever born. There's no room for you in the end. Perhaps you remember the words of that old song. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky and the sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this. If that isn't love, we serve a sovereign God. But praise God, we serve a loving God. He in his sovereignty, he in his majesty, he in his glory stooped, God the Son, take upon himself human flesh and die for you and for me. Have you ever stopped to consider Jesus's journey to Bethlehem? You know, we studied uh, the theme of traveling with the wise men and traveling with shepherds today, traveling with Mary and Joseph. Have you ever thought about the journey that the Lord Jesus took? From all eternity he has been. He did not begin in Bethlehem. He has existed as God all throughout eternity past. But he stepped into time, robed himself as flesh. Can you imagine the journey? Imagine God in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Imagine God being birthed by Mary. Imagine God being held. By Mary and growing up. You ever consider Jesus's journey to Bethlehem? Joe Stoll said the stunning point of Christmas is that God considered my needs and the worth of my relationship to him sufficient to go through the trauma of changing places. Think about that. He was born to die. He was born to die. He came for you. He came for me. I wonder, on this Christmas Day, have you received the greatest gift ever given? I hope you got a lot of great gifts. You probably got some gifts you're going to yet to get, maybe. But have you ever received the free gift of eternal life to the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. All our righteousness, all of our good works, everything we are and have are as filthy rags. But there stands one who is righteous. 
One who is living. He, he died, but He rose again. And the Bible says if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Him, He will save you, forgive you, make you a child of God and give you a home in heaven. I wonder today, friend, if you received the greatest gift ever given, the gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. If not, why not today? Why not now? Why not this hour? Turn from your sin and faith in Christ. Repenting of your sin. I don't want my sin anymore. I want Jesus. And the Bible declares... He will save you. Do that now. Do it now. Turn from your sin to Christ. Place your faith in Him. Call upon Him. The Bible says, you shall be saved. You see, this familiar story reminds us that we serve a sovereign God. He's in control. We we serve a loving God. No doubt about it. But another thought came to mind, and that's this. We serve an awesome God. Can I just say that again? We serve an awesome God. I don't remember much from my Bible college days. That is in the classroom. I don't remember as much as I ought to remember from those days. Do you? But listen, there is something I do remember among things I was taught. And hopefully a little bit more is back there somewhere and it will come out. But I remember our college president talking one day. I don't remember if it was in a theology class or, or a sermon or whatever. He's talking about the idea of the word awesome. And he was making the point that we use that word awesome a lot to describe all kinds of things. You know, this pizza is awesome and, and this, this concert's awesome and this is awesome and that is awesome. But he made the point that the word is a word that only, only adequately describes God. Only God is truly awesome. We serve an awesome God. We serve a sovereign God. I mean, he, he, he spoke us into creation. He spoke the word into creation. He, he gave us physical life. Being God, he knew that we would rebel, yet he gave us that freedom. He says, listen, you can enjoy all of my garden, enjoy all these good things, but don't eat of, of this fruit. He didn't want robots. He wanted those who would lovingly relation, uh, have a relationship with him and, and respond to him. Yet we in Adam, we took of that forbidden fruit and we sinned and we rebelled. And yet even then we find that he came, Adam, where art thou? Where are you? He clothed them in the animal skins. He Worked and moved. He talked about the gospel very early on about the serpent and the bruised heel. 700 years, he was said before it happened, there's coming one born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, who will be the ruler, the one in Israel. And the Messiah came and he was born and he lived a sinless, perfect life. And here he is, God of the flesh. He, he was nailed to a cross voluntarily. He could have spoke the world out of existence. They had no true authority. He, he, he voluntarily gave himself to die in our place. And he hung and died and took upon himself the sin of the whole world. But then he arose victorious. He lives forevermore. And he did that because he loves us. He's an awesome God. An awesome God. You see, this story, it's so familiar to many of us. But all oh, the sovereignty of God and the love of God and the awesomeness of God, which brings us back to where we started today. And that's this. To travel to Bethlehem is to keep a rendezvous with wonder. 
It's to answer the call to wisdom. It's about the knee in worship. And so my question to you today on this Christmas day. Will you keep that rendezvous? Will you today bow the knee in worship? Will you today answer the call to wisdom? Will you today be filled with wonder and awe of our awesome God? He is sovereign. He is loving. He is awesome. Praise be to our great God. Father, we have been reminded of your greatness and majesty in this place today. We are not worthy the least of your blessings. We're not worthy of life, O oh God. We were sinful rebels in your sight. Yet you in grace and mercy and love sent Christ to die for us. To take our place. Thank you that he lives. Thank you he rose victorious, conquering sin, hell and the grave. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Father, thou knowest we could not earn it. We were lost and hopeless and helpless. Yet Christ took our place. Father, I pray if anybody here today does not know Jesus Christ, I pray your Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin and bring them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And then, Father, I pray for those of us here today who already have the forgiveness of sin, already have a home in heaven. But, Lord, perhaps we've lost the wonder and the worship. We perhaps have forgotten that, yes, you are sovereign. You are in control. Though it seems all around us, our world is being shattered. We know that you hold us in the very palm of your hand. Lord, we've, we've lost our way when it comes to wisdom. We, we turn to the world and to worldly philosophies rather than turning to your word and to you. And Lord, if we're not careful, thou knowest that we will lose the worship that is rightfully yours as the awesome, holy God. And so I pray on this Christmas morning that your Holy Spirit would have free course and free will in this place. As the invitation is given, oh God, I pray that people will respond in faith and obedience. That Jesus Christ will be truly magnified in this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning. And indeed, the altar is open. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to share with you again the gospel. If you would come and meet me here. If you want to come and pray and maybe bow the knee and worship. Perhaps on this Christmas day, as we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, number 88, you want to step out and you want to come and bow the knee and give glory and praise afresh and anew to our sovereign, loving, awesome God. You feel free to do that.
You obey the Holy Spirit today. You come as we sing. And you worship Him. And you crown Him King of Kings and Lord of Lords in your life. Let's stand and sing 88. Hark the herald angels singing as we sing. You come today.